1: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast on this Wednesday evening for all of you in Europe and America. This is our La Fleche Wallon Men's Recap. If you're watching on YouTube or the combined men and women's recap on all podcast players. I know Apple announced something in their slightly dystopian announcements I always find actually uh, about podcast players, but I haven't checked that out yet. Anyway, La Fleche Wallon, it's... I'm not going to insult your intelligence. It's all about the murderhoy hoy at the end, if I'm honest. But for completeness, it's 192 k's. They do the Mur, a lap of it before, which crests with 32 k's to go. And then the last climb, 1,300 meters, 9.5%, but then the real nasty sections, 900 meters at 12% with 25% ramps or something obscene. There's not actually like the, that many hard climbs. Otherwise, throughout this race, age is harder, and that's the problem with it. But, um, yeah, are you surprised, Benji, that it's under 200Ks? Do you think the solution for flesh, like would you add more climbs, more Ks to make it 250, 230, another hour of racing to maybe make the last 20 more exciting?
0: I think that there's a few aspects to this. You first have the fact that, There's no real other race like this on the calendar where it's the entire parkour basically preparing for the final wall. And throughout the season itself, we know that we have quite a bit of hill races that are like 250 kilometers or are 200 kilometers that have hills all around that get a different kind of finish. So it's a question whether you want every single race to look relatively the same or be as hard and not give an opportunity to riders that could perhaps do better on parkours like like this one, where it's very stressful for the entire day, but not so difficult that you can't be at the foot of the final hill. So I do see the beauty in something like La Flaige Wallonne, but it's just not good for the viewing pleasure, I think, because let's be real, I think the majority of people know that once you look at La Flèche Wallon, you can just basically wait until the last five-ish kilometers and you're 99% sure that nobody else is going to take the victory that attacked beforehand, there's always a possibility that someone attacks on the second or third last hill, but it's just very unlikely to happen with the brutality of the final hill, and the way everybody just sprints up it in the end, so yeah, that's kind of my take on it.
1: I think the last breakaway winner was in 2003, so it's been a long time between breakaway wins, but before we get into the full recap, I want to mention our show partner, Le Cole. the Arden Classics. Well, we've got our last one coming up on the weekend, but the Cobble Classics are already done and dusted. But if you want to check out Le Cole's new ambassador kit with Johan Museo, they've brought that out. They've posted a story about it, and the link is in the description below about what the classics and cycling in Flanders means to Johan Museum. So I'd encourage you to go and check that out if you want to read through that as well. There's also Lacole's Level Up Strava Challenge. So if you complete 420 minutes across three weeks, if you join this Strava Challenge, you receive a £50 reward upon completion to spend at Lacole. And one person will win £2,500, which infinite Australian dollars of Lacole summer kit. So go and check that out through LeCole's Instagram if you're keen. But the favourites for today's stage, or race rather, Roglic, Julian Alaphilippe, won it twice before. Pidcock, obviously, one of the best classics riders already. But the big news, Benji, UAE and Pogaccio out of the race before he even started because of a positive test, which Pogaccio and UAE are adamant that it's a false positive for one of their riders and the team members. So they were out despite that. Ryder, I think it might have been Ulysses, correct me if I'm wrong, Benji, uh, who tested positive for COVID and then he did like three tests afterwards, all negative. He tested negative in the days previously, non-symptomatic. So, Pagaccia didn't seem particularly pleased about that. Anyway, there was a fairly large break. No one was too concerned about it. No favourites in it. No like massive talents like... Um, Maori van on last year, they have it in check, two minutes. They do the first Mur and bring it down to 150 and Maori attacked Benji. Did you expect him to do that? Because I thought it was like the most bang on but likely things to happen in this race is van on attacking obscenely early.
0: Yeah, I was expecting something throughout the race. I wasn't expecting him to wait until the last moment because we know that that team has Alaphilippe. They're going to use Alaphilippe for the final Murderhui so they can try and use their other candidates to try and just spice up the race beforehand. Make sure that other teams need to chase their riders without really too much problems. Because, well, if you send Van Seyven on the road, or even the likes of an Honoré, for example, you're you're forcing other teams to pace, but you're not necessarily losing a pawn of your game on the MudaHui because we all know you don't need too many domestiques on the Hui in the end because usually riders take it on on their own because of the positioning advantage that it gives. So, yeah, I think that it was a, a clear-cut thing to happen. I don't think it was going to go anywhere, despite me being uh, <laughs> a large fanatic of Belgian young cyclists. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it was cool to see. And I think after, after Amstel, I think that he's gaining a lot of following internationally and people are really liking how he rides very offensively and i love how he said after amstel the following sentence uh do you think you're gonna be a co-leader in the next ardennes race for example and he said well i don't really care i just want to ride and i just want to ride in between and see where i land (laughs) and i like that because it's like the the most non-calculated racing we've seen in a while and it's the same thing with Bugachar last year where he was very offensive when he's behind and that kind of stuff sparks interest in I think in cycling itself and if those kind of riders make the sport more interesting then a lot of more uh, people will enjoy the sport I think.
1: And he did prompt a few attacks I think uh, Geshke attacked, Tao uh, and another in the Australia got in that group but uh, I think there was a crash as well with Pidcock behind at this same time and Gag was pulling but then back got back into the peloton. There was 50 seconds for the five riders in front. Even Philip Gilbert threw an attack in Benji. Any <laughs> case to go, 25 seconds and you already know it, it's going to be murderhoy bunch time because you need – like 50 seconds at the base of the mood if you've been in the break. And as well, they're going to bring it back even earlier than that because it's not a long race. It's not that hard typically. And all these teams have so many domestiques in the last 20 kilometers. That's what makes the big difference. And they just keep it so tight and bring everything back. Tim Wellens tried to attack with 11 and a half km to go and Carapaz tried to follow him. So quick step. And Ineos had tried to throw a few riders up the road. Roglic didn't really have too many people to bring it back, apart from Omen. He did a decent job actually bringing Carapaz back. Carapaz attacked again, and we'll talk about his result later and how well he did. Lambertink was the last rider, I think, up the road. Two Ks to go, 11-second gap, close right at the base, just on cue. And Quickstep attacked with Honoré with 1,300 metres to go. And, I mean, you probably got time. Go and look at the last K on Tour de France ASO's YouTube channel will be up soon. You know, take you three minutes. But interesting from Quickstep attacking like that with Honoré rather to put Ineos and Cosnifra and Azure Desert Citroën under pressure, Ari was dropped and the pace came out of the race a little bit, it seemed. Kwiatkowski was pacing Israel had had a rider pacing for Mike Woods, their contender for today, and then with 400 meters to go, Alberti was out of position. We'll talk about him in a second. 400 meters to go, Rogla, who was in good position, and Visma did a good job today. Generally, I thought they did a really good job for Roglic, keeping him in fantastic position. He accelerates like we always see him do, a little bit early. 400 to go, still a long time on the murder Hoy. 400 meters. He's got Alaphilippe and Valverde looking at him. Alaphilippe doesn't react, no movement at all, doesn't even get out of the saddle. Just let's Pidcock close that gap a little bit. Alaphilippe's got Valverde on his wheel. Let's Pidcock bring him to 270. Roglic has got a decent gap on them at this point. It's his patented 100-meter big sprint. Then Alaphilippe begins a slow bridge, gradual bridge to Roglic, not panicking at any moment, always under control and... We can see him clawing him back. He's got Valverde on the wheel, drops him off the wheel with 125 to go, and then we see him in Roglic's wheel with 75 meters to go as they're just cresting the steep section at the end, and it flattens off, and we know it's over for Roglic. Alaphilippe kicking out of his wheel, and it's more a marathon. Even though it's a short climb, Alaphilippe just able to hold that same speed and power right until the finish and Roglic fading. Alaphilippe coming first, Roglic second, Valverde third, I think Woods fourth or Bargui fourth and Woods fifth. Benji, Roglic, do you think he was surprised Valverde was there? He seemed kind of shocked and then tried to re-kick with 50 metres to go. And if so, do you actually think that made a difference?
0: You mean Alaphilippe, right, not Valverde? Or-
1: yeah, sorry, when, when Roglic... Had Alaphilippe come up next to him on the left-hand side. Yep.
0: Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure it's a surprise necessarily. I think that he knows that if he goes so early on the midway, which to some is arguably a mistake, because I bet every single rider before this year is going to say, oh, if you attack early on the midway, then you're basically... uh, the nail in your own coffin they're gonna counter you and they're gonna come past you in the moment that they launch their kick on the rather uh just the point where it goes from very steep to not super steep that's where Philippe usually launches and today he had to go a bit earlier to launch towards roglic um i think that he probably was not surprised that alaphilippe was there he was probably hoping that he wouldn't be there obviously but um yeah, I think in total, the topic I just want to bring up is, did Roglic go too early or not? And there's a few aspects to this. Like I just mentioned, on the Mood Hui, you're typically waiting until it is at that point where everybody usually launches and Alaphilippe usually launches. A few years ago, Philippe lost the race by launching a bit too early. And today, he had to go early because Roglic went way earlier than everybody and that forces the others into actually responding because they know that if Roglic makes that move, if he gabs them so much on that steeper section, then they need to find some hella crazy kick to get back to him and pass him on the last section. But um, on the opposite side, you can also say, perhaps this is the best thing that Roglic could do. Perhaps going early is the best thing that Roglic can do because he does not have the sprint acceleration against Ala Philippe on the last section. But... I would counter to that. We don't actually know that well because we've seen them ride against each other in a punching way on Liège last year. And we saw it as well on the World Champs. On the World Champs, we had them both having ridden the Tour de France just before, right? Was that Tour de France? Yes, it was Tour de France? Yes. And as a consequence, Hydrovich went all out in the Tour de France, de la Philippe, who was preparing for the world champs throughout the Tour de France. That was his goal. He said that. The first part after that first victory, he said that he was focusing on the world champs. So we don't know if Roglic would have also prepared for the world champs, how close he would have gotten on that final punch and that final kick where Alaphilippe got away. And I think it's interesting to think about because we don't know what would happen if they launched both at the same time on the Muda Huy. I dare to put my money on the fact that I... Just don't know. And that it could be either one of them. Because I would really like to see Roglic and Ala Philippe launch from that corner, the last corner, at the same time and see where it lands. Because people are saying, some people are saying that Ala Philippe would outkick Roglic. From the history of Ala that's possible. But we haven't seen him against Roglic like that many occasions. And I think it could be different than people are thinking. And I think that. We're underestimating Roglic and I think Roglic might be underestimating himself here on this finish because I'm scared of what he can do. The man launched early and he still almost won.
1: Yeah, I don't think he went 300 meters too early, but just a little bit too early. I think that's inarguable when you look at his speed, like how he slowed down and was kind of cooked in the last 30 to 50 meters. Uh, so it's not like he jumped incredibly early for him and what he can do, but just a little bit early, and that was the difference between him and Alaphilippe and Benji. I'm looking on Twitter. Apparently, we have a climbing record. Yeah, they did two to- forty-one for the Mur de six Ooh. seconds quicker than Hirschi last year,
0: nine is- seconds
1: quicker than Alaphilippe last year, uh, in 2019.
0: Yes, I think that's the same. Amount 241 that Valverde did in his his not-so-clean year. Exactly the same time, back in the day.
1: 2014. uh, Yeah. He was clean then.
0: Was he? Okay. I'm getting the years wrong then. (laughs) But uh, that does (laughs) mean that...
1: That's post-Puerto, mate.
0: Is it a climbing record then?
1: Well, in... In principle, sort of, because it's a harder course now than apparently when Valverde did 2.41. Okay, yeah. So, it's more impressive uh, what they did and that was largely down to Roglic. But, yeah, crazy level and it goes to show like we're like, oh, maybe Roglic went a little bit early but <laughs> in almost any other year and a lot of other eras, <laughs> he would have won <laughs> So by like five seconds. So, he's crazy, crazy level puncher. Roglic, um, super impressive from him. One thing I want to mention, Benji, is speaking of Valverde, he should have been disqualified in my view. He came third. That's you know classic podium out of Woods and Bargi. Top ten, by the way, Pitcock, Guru, Chavez, Carapaz, Sharkman. Third, he was so far out of position. We said it was a problem in Amstel. I think in my video, I was like, oh, way out of position, Valverde. Yep. Then he managed to super impressive on the last Cowberg that he even managed to get into G1 for a time. And today, he was so far out of position again with 600 meters to go and he used the sidewalk to move up the right-hand side. No other riders did. He was behind Pidcock beforehand, Move, used the sidewalk and moved up to about third wheel behind Alaphilippe. And when he came back off the sidewalk, he nearly chopped Pidcock and nearly crashed because he was going into a space that wasn't there. And the rules do not mandate that you are disqualified just because you go onto the sidewalk, but in serious cases or if an infringement offers an advantage, the commissaires may relegate the rider to last place or eliminate or disqualify them. It offered an advantage. He only went on that sidewalk to move up spots because his team weren't good enough to keep him at the front before the murder hoy. And it affected Pidcock's race. It definitely gave him an advantage. And Benji, how surprised, a.k.a. not surprised at all, are you that he didn't get sanctioned?
0: I'm not surprised at all. and. To be honest, if you're thinking about it, I think that it's also just not a very effective penalty because in this one-day race, why would he care that he gets DQ'd if he doesn't win anyway? It's Valverde. He's got plenty of history anyway. The thing that would hurt him the most is the fine and the UCI ranking points, but he also won't care about those, to be honest. UCI ranking points, perhaps. (laughs) Valverde sometimes cares about the UCI ranking if he's close to the top, but... um, yeah,
1: and if he doesn't move up, he can't win. Yeah, because he'd be so deep. I so do it he as has well. No, with, with yeah.
0: his penalty, I do it as well. Like, why not? Yeah.
1: You're choosing between ninety nine percent not being sanctioned and improving your position, or staying behind and definitely losing. So it's a no brainer for him to do it. It's just <laughs> one of those things. I think Roe got penalized for it at Flanders a few years ago, but yep. generally they only penalize you if you actually endanger another rider but or a spectator, but he kind of really chopped Pitcock or another rider. So, yeah, that was a bit of a shame. But Alaphilippe Benji, I think I was saying he didn't look at the same on the Cowberg. You know, he didn't have that snap back today climbing, climbing record what do you think of Liege? Do you think he's just a myrrh flesh specialist, his third win and or do you think he's as the hot favorite Liege like he was maybe last year?
0: The mood we is perfect for him, I think. I think that he is obviously the best puncher on paper, I'd say in the world. Philippe, and that is solely because we haven't seen Rolagege do like the Phil Ardennes let's say that Roglic ends up dropping everybody on LBL on La well that might change but overall throughout the entire season once ala Philippe is on a star list with a hill in the end with roughly 1.5 K off climbing we know that he's likely going to end up in the uh, in the uh, winning seat of that if he's well placed and so forth obviously but punching wise he's one of the best Roglic, it's it's kind of difficult to like post him next to that, because we're used to all these years where all these GC riders would never ride the likes of an Ardennes or only Ash, and then they'd like drop with 20k to go because they're not in form yet. But we have seen such a change with the Slovenian gods that came in and basically uh, threw everything around. And we saw that at Strade, with Pogacar being strong there, Bernal being strong there. We saw that with Bernal at the Italian Classics a few years ago, but also with well, Roglic in this situation, Liège last year as well. Although that was a different calendar, I think that we're I seeing getcha. such a difference in how these riders focus on more than just the Tour. Pogacar said it as well a few uh, a few weeks ago. There's more to the season than the Tour de France.
1: <laughs> it's always like,
0: oh no, oh no. <laughs> but uh, like all in all, I think that it's beautiful to see because there is more to cycling than the Tour de France, and many mainstream viewers probably. Have like the Tour de France and as their highest regarded thing, and people that don't really, that aren't really like the mainstream cycling following, but the ones that just watch cycling once and so on, those are the ones that probably only watch those races or local races. And yeah, it's lovely that it's becoming more popular to watch more than just the Tour de France, and I like that.
1: Yeah, maybe not flesh though. Might not be the best. <laughs>
0: the last two kilometers, okay? <laughs>
1: the best alternative, <laughs> Jesus. All right, that was our men's Flesh willon recap. If you're listening on podcast players, stay tuned for the women's recap coming up now. But otherwise, if you're listening on YouTube, like the video down below or leave us a review on podcast players. But here's the women's recap. We just watched the women's Flesh willon. All the favourites were there, as you'd expect. Lisa Longoborghini, Mariana Vos, Ludwig, who else? Van der Breggen, Vollering, Nivea Doma. So many strong riders and strong teams, particularly SD Works. Their profile for the women's race, 130 kilometres long, and they do two laps of the Mur. So the Mur de Hoi defines Fleschwellon. They do the first lap with 98 k's done and 32 kilometres. To go then, they have two climbs after that the Cote de Cote d'Arafe and the Cote de Chamendagouz. Both of them are not that steep. The first one's two and a half k's at five percent, the second one is 1.6 k's at six percent, crest 10 k's from the finish, and then they do the Mur, which is 1 k at 11 and percent, but it's got steeper paths in their really steep pinches. Um, I think. What is it, like 20% Benji, nasty road surface, 18% sections. It's nasty, particularly at the end. Anna van der Bregen's won the race six times in a row, and uh, (laughs) she didn't look as good at Amstel, but we'll see how she went today. Live coverage started with about 40 k's to go. There was a break up the road with Chabby, Anna Henderson, I think, for Jumbo Visma, and Lucinda Brand for Trek, Sega, Freighter. Why was that? Sometimes me and you gloss over the break. Benji, but why is those three riders or two of those riders actually important from a tactical perspective that they're up the road with a 30 second lead?
0: Well, when it comes to the teams that are in women's cycling, we know that Trek Segafredo was one of the uh, heavier competitors of SD Works, who was not in that front group. Trek Segafredo with Lucinda Brand in that front group means that SD Works behind needs to set something up in the peloton, needs to start working, set people at the front of the peloton to try and keep that gap relatively low to keep the race under control. It doesn't need to be, I don't know, like more than 45 to a minute the gap, but they can keep it roughly at that because we know that if they come to the mudawi, eventually it should in the end be a uh, relatively doable to catch a breakaway of like 30ish seconds with the likes of a uh, van der Bregen or a van Vleuten on different teams really mashing it up on that wall. But yeah, that's really the reason. They have riders in there that are from teams that are competing with SD Works. So they're trying to get SD works to spend riders to try and control the Peloton. But in that process they obviously spend riders as well. But yeah, that's uh Yeah but
1: this race uh, it doesn't pawn. matter so much. Yeah. Because how much can Lucinda brand help you on the moor if you're at least a Lee Salon that's why it's such a good tactic, and that seemed to be Trek's tactic, which was really good today. Um, it was mentioned after the race that SD Works made some tactical mistakes during the race by riders on SD Works, and I think one of them was letting two riders from their main rivals go into the break. The second, I think, maybe they weren't referring to it. The second, I think, is they do the first the uh, first round of the Mur. No real, just some people dropping off the back, but all the contenders are still there. The break is still at 20 seconds to so those three riders. Got uh Canuel, I think, Canadian national champ pacing for SD works a lot. Nendy Fisher Black afterwards on the flatter section, then they got this second or third to last climb rather, two and a half Ks, five percent. And SD works start forcing really hard on that climb. We've got twenty-three Ks to go, twenty-two K's to go chasing back this break, which was at 20 seconds, 23 seconds. And honestly, those riders are going to lose 50 to a minute on the move to the contenders anyway. So maybe not 50, but yeah, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of time. And they're forcing to bring it back at 20 k's to go. I think uh, Moulin did. Brought it back. Well, really close. Got it down to five seconds. They were in sight, just over the crest of that shallow gradient but longish climb. And I'm thinking, why are they bringing the break back at 20Ks to go? That's feeding into Trek's strategy. And it did, because then they, br- Milman pulled off, gap was five seconds. And then uh, Ruth Winder, winner of Provence Pale, very strong rider in the last month or so, she attacked. She counted for Trek going past that break, which had been brought back with Brand, and uh, Henderson had been dropped. And then Shabby tried to follow her, but didn't quite get on her wheel. So, more problems for SD Works. Again, those trek riders, are they going to be that much use on the Moor itself for Lisa Longa Borghini? Not really. And now they're forcing SD Works to chase again. A fresher rider going up the road. She got a 36, 40 second gap on the Peloton, which was not able to bring her back before the Moor. SD Works are having to pace a lot. They burnt all their riders. And then they get onto the last climb with 12Ks to go. Annemiek van Vleuten, who this isn't her exact finale that pr- she would prefer. She prefers going on a longer climb from further out, one would think She attacks on the l- second-to-last climb with 12Ks to go, blows away all the other domestics. We only have the contenders left. The only team with two riders is following an under van der Breggen. Van Vleuten doesn't catch Ruth Winder, but she brings it back to 25 seconds. She stops her action because everyone's on her wheel. And in this group, we have, as I said, Volering under van der Breggen, Ludwig, Mavi Garcia, Lisa Longoborghini, Nivia Doma, Juliette Labou, and Van Vleuten. And at that point, Benji, with Anna van der Breggen having not looked good at Amstel, working for Vollering. What did you think was the play for SD Works? Because Volering had already been trying to chase down moves.
0: Yeah, I think that at that point it was relatively clear to me that they were going to go for uh, Von der Bregen for the All-Out uh, seven times in a row here. Because if you have Volering already chase down moves and also attack, well, I'm not sure if you can call that a chasing, but she counterattacked someone as well a bit earlier. So she was doing quite a bit of work. And that's honestly kind of because of that move of Molan Passio a bit earlier. Molan made that attack and that is basically reducing their numeric advantage to two riders and with two riders you have to choose if you have riders like volring and von der breggen to potentially yeah candidates to win this race then you have to choose one or the other at that point to try and fix the damage you've done that way and it looks like they chose volring as the domestique from that point they countered with her they ended up facing down with her as well throughout the entire last uh, 10-ish kilometers because nobody else would take over. It's only logical that other teams see that as they were just pushing Volering as a domestique forward, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, just go ahead, go ahead, take take the front. Yeah. You can do it.
1: You, well, <laughs> and Van once, six times. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> you're not going to sacrifice yourself to bring her to the foot of the move, especially like great work from Trek, by the way. I have to say they – Yep. played the race as well as they could tactically. And, but anyway, as Benji said, Vollering pacing, sacrificed herself. Obviously, at this point, we'd realize, like, they're not stupid. Obviously, Van der Breggen was either feeling better than at Armstrong, where she'd been sick a couple of weeks ago or at armstool they were just giving Vollering an opportunity. She, and we knew, when she had, even though they hadn't brought Winder back, by the base of the Moor, they had her at 11 Seconds, maybe less. The first four hundred meters of the moor are about six, seven percent. It only kicks up in the last nine hundred meters. following pace is really hard at the base of that climb. Eventually, Sprat moves up. We're onto the base of the moor proper with nine hundred meters to go. Volerings clearly run out of steam, and we've got all the contenders here, except for Voss. We should have said, by the way, Voss was dropped when Van Vloen attacked with ten yep. k's to go, but she wasn't really. We didn't think of her as a contender anyway for this race. Spratt goes through the middle and then under van der Breggen, just like last year, she wanted to ride this full moor as hard as possible at her pace, moves up on the right-hand side as she looks at it and just starts pacing, drops, I think, everyone except <laughs> Longo Borgini and Nivea Doma straight away. Van Vleuten is trying to claw back to her but pops pretty quickly. Ludwig's gone. Yep. Straight away, somewhat surprising, Benji, given that she came second last year, I think, Vollering third. Anna van der Breggen doing her thing, pacing, eventually drops Elisa longo whilst Nivea Domas moved up into second wheel and is looking good, looking sprightly. She's edging up, almost half-wheeling Anna van der Breggen, who's pretending that she's not even there. She came, she's looking good on the Kalberg, or the strongest on the Kalberg and Amstel Gold Race and these two women, I'd encourage you to go and watch the last kilometre and forth <laughs> if you can. It, you know, it's it's incredible. Side by side, half-wheeling each other all up this climb, of Doma getting into Anna van der Breggen's space. It reminded me of uh, like a 5,000-metre or 10,000-metre race, like an Olympic final when the runners all getting in each other's space, getting their elbows underneath each other. Nylia Doma gets to the last 400 metres, starts to edge past under Van der Are we thinking, is she about to dethrone the Queen of Flesh Wallon? Moves, tries to take the last left-hander with 250 to go on the inside, pushes Van der Breggen wide, but then Vanderbregen has a second kick with 180 metres to go. She, We knew, I thought she was holding something back. She knows how to pace this climb. And kicks past Nuvia Doma, gaps her, looks back, almost can't believe it again, and wins by four or five bike lengths. Plus, arms aloft for her seventh and final <laughs> fleshfulon victory. Nuvia Doma second, Elisa least Borghini pipping Van for third. Do you how do you do you enjoy that race, Benji? The finale, even though it it sounds predictable, it was actually there's a lot of tension from my from my perspective.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. I think that it's partially due to the fact that we saw that uh, attack by Molman a bit earlier, Ashley Molman, because that basically forced the race to be more open. They couldn't control the race after that move. And Roofwinder getting away, they had to kind of improvise behind. They had to choose a different strategy to try and catch Roofwinder. The gap was around 30 seconds for a bit. So it was quite quite intense at a certain point. I was like, we're going to have to dig into this... Uh, Gap quite a bit now because otherwise, if she got 45 seconds at the foot of the Murdehui, then it's gonna be relatively close. But in the end, it wasn't close, and uh, we saw a uh, a really nice final. We uh, didn't see an all-out domination on on the Murdehui, I think, in my opinion. Even Oma, we I, th- I feel like she's doing really well this season. I think we've already seen that in Amstel, but I think what is key on this on this finish on the Murdehui is that. She always, well, van der Breggen always attacks on basically the same moment on the climb. She gets past that corner that kings the road to the finish line. And a bit after that, that's where she puts that acceleration. I think that we saw her competitor today do it a bit earlier. And I think that might have cost it quite a bit. But on the other end, I think that it's also better because van der Breggen and uh, and you would almost against each other on this finish. I don't know what would have happened if they entered the last 50 meters next to each other. I think that it um I think that Vanderbreken has a tiny bit more acceleration. We see uh Cash always on this on this high-end gear and uh or low gear. Oh my god. I always put him the other way around. You know what I mean? <laughs> on the big ring. <laughs> and uh I think that's kind of the thing there where that's potentially the reason why Kasha decided to go a bit early on the mid but in the end, I think uh I think it's a pretty great race. I really enjoyed it. It opens up sooner than the men's race most likely because i I do expect the men's race to be a uh, Murray central once again. Uh, last year we yeah. had an early attack of on seven on there, but I don't see it happening this year, but I could be wrong, but we're talking about this after the men's section on the podcast, but we recorded this beforehand, so this is just confusing right now but <laughs> yeah. um yeah, well, that's a good All- point yeah this
1: I think this is a good example of where the profile, even though it's similar, much more exciting women's race than a typical men's flesh will yep. which is basically hundred and eighty five k's than a hill test on the Hui <laughs> for a couple of minutes. Yep. so this, and in terms of you know Valverde, he's been dominating flesh, Vunderbird's been dominating flesh, but it was different today. The way it opened up, as Benji said, was really exciting. And I thought, have Esti worked off to the trek? Played a masterful tactical hand. Is Van Vloyten going to drop everybody? It was a great race. Really enjoyed it. And I'm excited for Liège this weekend. Maybe we should talk about that for a second, Benji. Different sort of race, Van said in the interview afterwards, well, if I want to win Liège, I have to go earlier because i got no sprint. And it's a flattish finish. Who do you like for Liege, Bastogne, Liege? I like Nivea Doma.
0: Hmm. She's got I, a breakthrough. I think I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say, uh, is Grace Brown Brown riding LBL? Because I yeah, think she I might be uh, rooting for a, a longer solo from her on this end. Like she last year, be. but without uh, Lizzie Dagen in front of her. So... <laughs> Basically in that <laughs> format. But like all in all, LBL is a different race. It's it's going to open up sooner. It's going to have more attrition throughout the race itself. And I think that we saw that last year. I think it's gonna be a similar race format this year. And I i, lo- I like Liège in this in the current form. I, I didn't really adore the Codon finish of a few years ago. It was special, but I think that this kind of changes it. And it doesn't all need to have a hill in the last two kilometers. It makes it interesting to have it open up earlier as well. And definitely the hills beforehand with a lot of due temps before definitely uh, do damage. So uh, I, I like this. Uh, I like this park. But another thing I wanted to bring up is um, yes. I think that I haven't done the math, but I think Longo Borghini is back in the Women's World Tour uh, uh, ranking shirt. So another purple shirt on our shoulders in oh, the yes. next race. I could be wrong on the calculations, but it was just after the race. So, uh, bear with me here, but, um, apparently like they, they do seem to like have some prestige in that in women's cycling. And that's something we don't have in men's cycling really when it comes to the UCI ranking. Basically everybody in the, in the men's UCI ranking is like, oh, we don't care about it until they're winning it. And then they're like, oh yeah, yeah. I won yeah. the UCI men's ranking. Well, if there was a Jersey
1: year. attached to it, they'd care.
0: Yeah. I, I think, think in the past, uh, we had a, a world cup shirt for, yeah, yeah. For a classic race or something, something like that, that was awesome. I like it.
1: Yeah. I think it's great having – I don't know why Vos, when she wears it, it's pink, and ELB, it's purple. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing something, but um, <laughs> maybe you I'm really? colorblind. But, yeah, I, I really like it, and it makes sense. It's like some an extra competition, of 5-4, and a rider who's consistent throughout the season and races a lot, which they all do anyway. You know, they deserve it. Yeah. and. Yeah, I really like it. And you saw ELB, she just pipped Van Vleuten for third. Maybe, I don't know how much of an effect that has on the points. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a great race today. And I can't wait for Liège on the weekend. We'll be doing a Liège preview, so we might give our more thorough thoughts in that on probably dropping on Friday. But that's all from us on the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you with that Liege preview, as I mentioned, on Friday. If you want to support the podcast, you can always like the YouTube video or share it if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on podcast players. Leave us a review on your podcast player. It's very helpful. We're trying to get to 1,000 reviews. Or we've also got our co-fi link in the description below should you wish to directly support us. But thanks, as always. It's been a great month and a half or two months of racing so far. And we'll see you in the weekend. Ciao